Well, we've got, he goes by many names, Johnny V, the British Wonder, all sorts of things, but we know him as Jonathan Vandenhurt, and I am tickled to death that him and his wife and sweet little girl are here with us tonight. It's been a little while since they've got to be on Walridge Road, and I'm just, I'm proud that they're here. Come on, Jonathan. I'm going to have you share a word about the ministry and preach for us tonight. They're my friends. Uh, there are missionaries too, but they're, they're our friends. We actually went to school together um, whenever we were very, very young. His brother, Peter, was in my class. And um, and Jonathan turned out way better than Peter. So I don't know what happened, but but I'm proud that he's here. And I'm, I love his family. I appreciate him. I pray for him, and I hope you pray for him too. They're representing the Lord Jesus Christ, but also Walridge Baptist Church over there in England doing a phenomenal job. So you pray for him, you listen up good to him, and open your heart to the truth of God's Word. Bless you, preacher. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Toby. Uh, we were actually meant to be with you all in August when we first came back. Um, but as soon as we, we got off the airplane, I took a COVID test in order to, uh, you have to have a negative test to visit some New England states like Vermont and Maine. So we took that and I was shocked um, when Brother Toby called me and said, uh, we were on our way to the church and he said, uh, did you know that you have the coronavirus? And I said, no, I didn't know that. How do you know that? And, but my parents couldn't get a hold of me and so they called Brother Toby and so Brother Toby knew before I did. And he said, uh, he said, we'll have to reschedule your visit, but, uh, but we had to isolate for a couple of weeks and, um, uh, but we're so pleased that this is our last Sunday, um, before going back to, to England. And it's the last Sunday of the year. And hopefully, uh, God willing, uh, next Sunday after the morning service, we'll be, uh, going to the Knoxville airport and flying back, uh, to, to the UK. And we're so thankful for God's blessings these last seven years that we've lived. There, I believe last time we were here was after we moved to England. Um, I had to come back to sort out my my visa to stay, my spousal visa, and I believe we came to visit during that time later on that year. But still, that was uh, 2000, the end of 2013, and, and so uh, we rejoice with you. Uh, it's it's almost like stepping right back in and saying hello again, coming back to Walridge Baptist Church and picking up where we left off. And I know that um, it's been about 10 years this year that Brother. Weber's been your pastor, and uh, so I rejoice with you about that as well, taking over from Brother Whitson, I believe, about 10 years ago. And uh, so we'll be praying uh, with you about, about the, what the net, net new year holds for this church as well as a, a renewal of our ministry uh, over across the pond, so to speak. But we, we're mostly here to say thank you. And uh, when Paul was trying to say thank you to the Philippian church, if you'll just open your Bible here just to, to begin with, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, verse 16, Paul says to the Philippians, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. And that's just what Walridge Baptist Church has done for us. You've sent once and again so faithfully, um, so consistently. And, and so thank you for having the faith to continue that, even in the year 2020, to support missionaries, to have missionaries in, to you know to keep it before the people here. And having the faith to continue supporting this. We, we kind of thought, well, well, we wonder what's going to happen this year with our support. But we praise God. God has continued to meet our necessity, as Paul says here. And then he says, not that, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And so Paul says there's going to be a day when we stand before the Lord. And uh, just like we sang, everybody will be happy over there. And what a day that will be when we're, when we can rejoice together about what God has done. But the judgment seat of Christ it says we'll all receive our own reward in, in two, second Corinthians. I almost said two Corinthians, like, like Donald Trump says, but, but, uh, but you know, his mother was Scottish and that's what we say over there is two Corinthians. But, but, uh, anyway, it says we'll all receive our own reward according to our own labor. But it says here that we'll also be given some fruit to our account from how we helped other missionaries. And uh, and I believe that we'll be able to have that great day, that happy day of rejoicing when somebody will come up to you from England and say, thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm here in heaven because you gave. And there, that's definitely a biblical thing here in this verse. And, uh, you know, we think Christmas is happy. My little Laura got to meet her, uh, her eight Tennessee cousins. And uh, we were all in the same house. There were 15 of us in my parents' house over in Walland. And uh, then as soon as we all got there, two trees fell over the driveway. So we were all stuck together 
and the power went out a few times. And uh, uh, but uh, you know, we woke up on Christmas morning, and three of my nephews. I woke up early to try to wrap a few things that we bought extra, and uh, my three nephews came up and they said, "What are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, can we open our presents yet? Can we open our stockings yet?" And I said, "You know, boys, you probably should whisper." There, I said, "There's still ten people uh, sleep here in the house," and and they said, and my little nephew Will said, uh, "But Uncle Donnie, we don't know how to whisper," and <laughs> they just got louder and louder. They were so excited. You know, that happiness, is, well, I don't think we're going to be whispering in heaven. We're going to be so excited. We're going to be rejoicing together on that day. And, and Paul's rejoicing here even now. He says, but I have all, in verse 18, in abound. I am full, having received of Epaphrodites the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. You know, he says, I know it's a sacrifice giving to missions, but he says it's a spiritual sacrifice as well. It's a it's a sacrifice not to me, but to God. He says it's an odor of a sweet smell to God. He says there's an odor about your church because you the way that you give to missions. And, and I believe God has that odor, that sweet smell about this church as well. And it's well pleasing to him to see churches doing just that giving to missions. And he said, then he turns it around and he says, you've supplied my necessity. Now he says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And that wonderful promise there is, is uh, in the context of giving to missionaries. And he says, God will supply all your need, not according to the bank account, but according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And, and I, I praise God that God's provided for you all. I know I'm sure. And and uh, and the, out of the abundance of that, the overflow, you've been able to not just reach people right here in, in Walridge and in Knoxville, but in places around the world through the missionaries that you support and pray for and encourage. And we're, we are definitely uh, some of those. Let me just, uh, as I tell you some stories uh, about what's God, what God's done in England, uh, you can, like I said, you can rejoice in it because we're partnering together in all these things. But we got to England uh, those seven years ago. But the first time I, I ever visited England was... Fifteen years ago, in 2005, I had gone um, on a missions trip. Natalie's pastor, uh, Natalie's the first Christian in her family. She shared her testimony before. But that British pastor who knocked on her door when she was 15 years old, uh, he came to Knoxville and was preaching where I where I, I, I used to drive an hour up to Crown College for, from where we live in the mountains. And, and uh, I, I, I was praying for Europe because my father uh, is from the Netherlands. So I joined the Europe prayer prayer group on Fridays. So I said to him, uh, you know, we pray for, for you every Friday. What can we pray for? What's it like starting churches in England? And he said, well, son, why don't you just come and see for yourself? We're starting two churches this summer. You can come and help us. And But I, I didn't have any money. So, But there was a couple in the church in Knoxville there that had built up lots of air miles, and they gave them to me and my friend Justin. And we went across the pond then visited and helped start those two churches that summer. And they, the people in the church took turns feeding us along with another couple on their honeymoon. And one of the people that fed us was Natalie. And uh, they were all trying to matchmake us and uh, all the people in the church. And the two missionaries who were helping as well the, and the pastor, they all separately came to me and said, have you met Natalie yet? We're all praying for her to find a good husband and maybe you could just pray, put her on your prayer list. Uh, and uh, uh, all those types of things. But I used to hate it when people at my home church in Maryville, Brother Tom Hatley's church, they used to try to matchmake me. And they even they even got me out of high school once and sent me up to Hammond, Indiana, to try to matchmake me with somebody and all this stuff. But And it, I, it never worked. But then with Natalie, it worked for some reason. So so uh, it, it never works unless it works, unless it's God's will. So anyway, uh, we... we uh, uh, Got to know each other. She became my best friend, and then uh, we got married two years later. Uh, in between that, I went back to England to help start a church in Birmingham. So I had this taste for it, but then we came back. I was working at Turner Street Baptist Church in, in Maryville, restarting that church. And um, Natalie and I worked there together. We worked at Chick-fil-A together, and then we just knew it was it was God's will for us to go back. But we, we, we didn't know God's timing, so we stayed at our home church until... We knew it was God's timing and uh, then uh, did two and a half years of deputation. And then uh, in 2013, we, we sailed across the ocean. It's cheaper than a flight if you're going one way and you can take all the bags you want. 
So uh, we had 19 suitcases in our cabin, and we uh, arrived in, in south of England, and and then we drove up to the east of England. There was a, a church there in Peterborough that had been uh, without a pastor for many years, and had gone down to three people. And so instead of Mr. Pavitt, the, the, the Natalie's pastor, had become a British evangelist at this time, and he contacted us and said. Um, I know you were going to start a church from scratch, but it's, you know, he said it's, it's just as much work to, to restart this church, and we'd hate to see it die. It used to be a flagship church for the gospel there in the east of England, and uh, these these three folks have contacted me. They're about to close the church, and but I told them that you were on your way to England, and, and would you consider coming to this church? He said, "I'll I'll even my wife and I will even drive 45 minutes every week for the first year and help you." So what invaluable training that was for us both to have. I was working with, with Mr. Pavitt, that British pastor, for a year. And then after that first year, Mr. and Mrs. Pavitt uh, had a great burden for the northeast of England. And so they said, we'll go out from this church if you'll send us, and we'll start another church in the northeast of England. And so our church, all, even as a, a, a brand new congregation again, we started uh, sending couple families up to help the Pavitts, and we started another church out of our and so uh, we have Calvary Baptist Church in Peterborough and Calvary Baptist Church in Hartlepool. Uh, one's, in, one's in the east of England, that is in the northeast of England. And uh, uh, please pray for the Pavitts, by the way. He's done all of that while having cancer. He's had three tumors removed in the past two years. And uh, his wife's had cancer as well. But they've started a church there and a Bible study in the university city of Durham. And what a wonderful congregation of people that God's brought along their way. But uh, where we are in the east of England, it's two and a half hours north of London, but 45 minutes on the fast train. So it's the fastest growing city in England uh, because it costs half the price of living in London, uh, but it's only 45 minutes away. But it's also the fastest growing city in England because it's right on the edge of the fens, the flatlands. The fens were an area that was below sea level, and nobody lived there except for the Fen men, the, the people who were running away from the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. And a lot of them were dissenting preachers and dissenting Christians, uh, nonconformists, few some Baptists, you know, things like that. And uh, they, they were known as the Fen men because they could navigate the maze of the Fens. Uh, in fact, uh, that's, uh, that's where King, King James I... He, of course, had the Bible translated, but he also was famous for the great drainage. He drained the fens. He brought the Dutch over with their windmills and waterways and paid them. And it became then the breadbasket of England. It was fertile soil when they drained it. But it also became fertile soil for the gospel. And it's where it was the seedbed for nonconformist churches. The first, Some of the first Baptist churches in the world uh, were started in the east of England. The first ever Baptist academy or college was started in London, but they were persecuted, so they moved to the Fens, and uh, they started there. Also, on the other side of the Fens is Boston, and that's where all the Pilgrim Fathers sailed from to the UK 400 years ago this year. Um, but now, Boston is known as the murder capital of the UK, and uh, they need a good Bible-believing church there. Um and uh, we're going to be helping another missionary start one in, in the coming year, God willing. But uh, but all of that all of that uh, gospel witness seems to have diminished. There's still some faithful Christians there, which we're thankful for. But mostly, it has become largely forgotten about uh, all the great heritage that was there. Just down the road from us is Bedford, where where um, uh, John Bunyan lived. Also, just uh, just across, just a few miles from there is uh, Olney, where Amazing Grace was written, where, where William Carey uh, preached his first sermon. Um, Charles Spurgeon was known as the boy preacher of the Fens. He pastored his first church there. And, uh, you know, so much heritage. But uh, now I was telling our brother before the service that uh, uh, he was asking me how many people go to church in England. I said about 5%. In some counties, it's just 2%. So we're, it was definitely a place of spiritual need we found very quickly. But there's always ways to reach people. Even if people say they're hard-hearted, uh, Brother Fred Kindheart said to me just before we left, sometimes, Jonathan, the, the hardest fruit to reach on the tree is also the sweetest fruit. And, you know, we've seen some sweet fruit 
through the years. We've seen uh, this church go from, I know it's not about the numbers, it's about the maturity of the believers that really counts, but we've seen it go from three people to 75 on a regular basis. And uh, we ran out of space in our little church building, so we rented a, a community center just down the road every Sunday morning. But pray for us because every once in a while they just say, oh, sorry, the Highland dancers need it this week or the, the ballerinas need it this week or we're going to use it as a COVID testing center this week. And, uh, you know, they kick us out and, and we've not really been able to use it at all this year um, with everything going on. So we have to have people with children one Sunday, people without children the next Sunday and alternate every week. And, and it is sort of wearing on our folks. So, so please pray for us that we'll, God will provide a new building. There was a building for sale called Ebenezer's, an old pub, um, but it was the perfect shape for a church building, but uh, we just didn't have enough of a down payment uh, for it. So let's, we have, we've saved, our people have saved up some, so pray that uh, we'll, we'll be able to continue that, and next time there's something available, we'll be ready to, to scoop it up and use it for God's glory. So, uh, But uh, we filled up the building. Uh, not not because of uh, our own efforts, but even though it is hard work. We learned it, it takes hard work going out faithfully, witnessing to people every, every week. But it takes prayer. It takes prayer. And so we're, through prayer and through hard work, God's we've seen God do a great work. And uh, we, we've, we've been able to give the gospel into every home through the letterboxes, every door in town of 200,000 people um, has gotten the, a gospel tract some multiple times in our neighborhood, and that's perfectly legal to do. And also, we stand in the city center, and this is even more of a profitable ministry. Of course, all preachers will tell you the best way for people to come to church is through a personal invitation from a friend or a family member. But besides those things, going into the city center. Uh, in England, um, it's more of a car culture. Uh, I'm sorry, it's more, it's more of a walking culture than it is a car culture because the gasoline which is called petrol, costs about $8 a gallon. And uh, so people will, will literally, thousands of people will be walking past every day in the, in the city center where all the shops are. So we can set up a, a board, a, a magnetic board with pictures, and we preach the gospel. We've, the Muslims have their table set up on one side of the square with their free Qurans. The Jehovah's Witnesses have their stand set up. The, the Mormons are always wandering around the city center. Now I'm thankful that there's a gospel preaching Witness there as well. And there's some folks who, who come from Leicester and, uh, and help us, which is about an hour away because we have such a wonderful city center in our cathedral square there in Peterborough. We have a 900 year old cathedral there and they, they, they're not too happy with us standing in the shadow of their church preaching. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they have a 900 year old building with queens and things buried inside. But we asked one of the priests how to go to heaven once and he said, oh, that's a question for the bishop. I'm not qualified to answer that. And uh, I said, well, what about John 3.16? I've heard about that. What, what does that have to do with going to heaven? He said, oh, I don't really know what that verse says right now off the top of my head, but but just go and see the bishop and and uh, when make an appointment. But in the meantime, just just uh, do 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 some good works. You know, that's uh, that's the the, the official uh, thing from the Church of England. But uh, we're thankful that now we've been able to share the gospel plainly and clearly with so many. And every week, we've had wonderful gospel conversations with people. We've had a few people yell and scream, but actually that helps us. Sometimes we pray for hecklers because it draws a crowd and uh, we get to talk to more people about the gospel. But also, uh, reaching children is a wonderful way of reaching whole families. And we've, we've had holiday Bible clubs, which is like VBS. And we've also... Um, started an afternoon Sunday school. And now that's a very historical thing in England. Um, afternoon Sunday schools used to reach millions for Christ, but those have mostly disappeared. But the church that I helped restart in 2006, Beaches Road Baptist Chapel in uh, in Birmingham, they encourage, have been encouraging this revival of Sunday schools. And so uh, we had uh, this, this man in our church who uh, got a gospel tract uh, in London, and he was given this gospel from a lady. We don't know who she was, but he, she gave him a tract that said the Bible is more up to date than tomorrow's newspaper. And he thought that old book, and, but he stuck it in his pocket. And he got to his hotel. He had just gotten married, 
They'd already had four kids, but then they'd gotten married. And uh, he opened the drawer in the hotel, saw a Gideon's Bible. So he read the tract, then he read, stayed up all night reading the book of Matthew. Then he read the tract again, knelt by the bed and asked Christ to save him. And then his wife was so upset, she said, I just married you and now you're a whole new person. But he, he would bring the poor kids by himself on their bicycles every Sunday. And, uh, and then he started bringing other friends as well. And uh, sometimes he would bring up to 10, 10 up to 15 kids on bicycles like the Pied Piper. But there wasn't enough room for them all. So we, we would start afternoons. We started this afternoon Sunday school so we could fill up the little building in the afternoon. And then uh, God provided a minibus for us as well. And so now, in addition to all that, we can bring up to 15 more kids on the minibus uh, in Sunday afternoon. So pray that God will continue to use that. And we'll, that'll all have to be restarted in the new year after COVID. So pray for, pray for that. But God uh, eventually bur- uh, burdened his wife's heart. She got tired of staying home alone on Sundays. So she started coming. And uh, then Natalie led her to the Lord during the ladies' Bible study on Fridays. And so now they bring all those kids together as a family. And so pray for our children's ministry. Uh, and also we have uh, uh, an opportunity to bring all those kids to Two Beaches Road once a year for a big Sunday school parade where they can meet kids from 15 other churches, Sunday schools, and see that they're not the only ones that believe the same thing. And they get to see those same friends every year at Camp Victory, which we've helped with every year uh, since 2013. And uh, in a great evangelistic summer camp. And I love summer camp because I was called to preach when I was 12 years old at Camp Joy in Chattanooga when Lee Robertson was preaching and and uh, I'm, I'm thankful for Brother Tom Hatley because when I when I told him I was called to preach, he said, OK, you can preach on Wednesday night. And uh, and I went to my Sunday school teacher, who is now my sending pastor, Brother Tim. And I said, what am I going to do? I meant when I was older, you know. Uh, but uh, he said he showed me Jeremiah chapter one, which says, say not, I am a child for whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. And be not afraid of their faces. And I didn't have any more excuses. So I preached for 12 minutes when I was 12 years old. And, uh, you know, Philippians 2.13 says, It is God which worketh in you both to will and then to do of his good pleasure. And God gave me that. God worked in me the will all those years ago. And I'm so thankful for people like Brother Tom and my parents and others, my Sunday school teacher, who encouraged that desire that God put in my heart. But I want to encourage you today, if God's putting that desire in your heart to, to serve him in some way, it also says, and to do. And now, all these years later, I can say God has given us not just the desire, but the, the ability, the, the power to do whatever he guides us to do. And we pray that that will continue, that he'll continue to lead us and guide us and provide for us that power in the future through the Holy Spirit. Well, I'd like you to take your uh, your Bibles and open them with me. Now to, to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter two. Habakkuk, uh, I joke sometimes is in the part of your Bible that is stiff because you don't go there very often, but, uh, and I, 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 but I, I shouldn't say that because it, sometimes it takes me a while. But I put a bookmark in here to find this this little minor prophet. And uh, this this verse that I'm going to read is uh, actually one of the verses in chapter three has been on the back of our prayer card for years. But I never really preached a sermon from Habakkuk, and I just started reading it recently again when we were down in Florida. And uh, I just want to preach a message from chapter two, verse four. In England, by the way, we say Habakkuk. So if I say Habakkuk by accident, I, it's uh, we also call Isaiah Isaiah. Uh, so I might I I just keep switching from one side of my brain to the other. Uh, so forgive me if I do that. But chapter two, verse four says, "Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. You know, we're saved by faith. We know that." My father, when he moved to America from Holland, he was told, uh, he had been told as a kid that if his good works outweighed his bad works, he'd, uh, he'd go to heaven. If his bad works outweighed his good works, he'd go to hell. 
But then he moved to Chicago and somebody invited him to a meeting, which he thought was a party, but it was a church meeting. And uh, he was all upset with his friend, but uh, then he was going to leave. But then he heard they had donuts after church. So he always thanks God for donuts because he stayed and he went to the preacher and the preacher came to him and said, uh, are, you, are you saved? And he said, I don't know what that means. So he quoted Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And he didn't know what saved meant or, or grace or faith, but that phrase, not of works, got his attention because it was the opposite of what the priests had told him. And so thank God for a preacher who took the time with somebody still learning English to explain to him what faith meant. And, you know, we, we live in a very international place. I told you we have 75 people in the congregation, uh, or at least we did before COVID. But 20 people in our little congregation, uh, I'm sorry, we have 20 different nations represented in our little congregation. So people from around the world and lots of confusion about salvation. Lots of, lots of different ideas about how to go to heaven. But here it says the just shall live by his faith. We're saved by faith. But then why do we think we can be we uh, a lot of us know that we're saved by faith alone. But then how, why do we think we can please God by our good works? after that? No, we have to live by faith as well. The Bible does say in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, uh, we're not saved by by good works, but we're saved on two good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. But it's not we don't do those things in order to please God. We do them because we're thankful. For what God has done for us. We don't do good works in order to be saved, but because we're thankful that we are saved. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they are out there every day, just about, in the city center of, of Peterborough, and just about every other town and city we visit in England. And, uh, you know, one time I, I was trying to find an app to, I, to, to, to use when we were knocking on doors, and I thought, I wonder if anybody's made an app for that, with a map. So I found one. And I thought, this is perfect. You know, it, it has a map. You can mark what, where you've gone. And I was looking at it, But then it said, what did you put through the letterbox? Was it a watchtower? I thought, oh, this is a Jehovah's Witnesses app. And I, then I realized it's called My Time. And they could clock in and clock out on the app. And they have to literally put their time in to earn brownie points with God. You know, they're doing it with a totally different motive. But we have such a higher motive for what we do. We should be doing more. And we should be doing it more urgently than ever because, you know, 2020 is not an excuse to do less. Some people think, you know, I now have my excuse to stay home and watch and sit on the couch, you know, but but no, we shouldn't be doing less. We should be doing more. People are are even more uh, thoughtful about life and death and the fragility of life. And and the message of Christianity should be more poignant and powerful than ever. And the message of Christmas but uh, so so we need to not be lifted up, but we should be living by faith. This is such an important verse. Chapter two, verse four, that it's quoted three times in the New Testament, in Romans and Galatians and in Hebrews. And, uh, you know, we'll get to some, some of what those verses say here in a little bit. But I want to encourage you as on this last Sunday of 2020. Are we living by faith in chapter one of this book? The prophet is full of frustration. But here in chapter 2, he says the just shall live by his faith. So the title tonight is Going from Frustration to Faith. Going from Frustration to Faith. We've had a pretty frustrating year in many ways, but how can we end it? Looking to God in faith for the future year, for the future decade, for Brother Toby, if the Lord doesn't return here at Walridge, or as we go back to England next Sunday. How can we do it with full of faith, moving onward and upward for the Lord Jesus? Well, the first point is Habakkuk's problem. Look at chapter one. That, uh, Habakkuk chapter one gives us a lot of problems that the prophet has his eyes on. It says in let's read verses one to seven of chapter one, the burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, did see, did see. Now he's going to talk about seeing. He's going to talk about what the Lord has showed him and how he beholds grievances and iniquities and, and how this is ever before his eyes. This violence, the spoiling is there. There's lots of contention. The law of God is like he's talking about all the problems that he sees. Now, I started 2020 with a series called 2020 Vision in England. 
and we looked at every uh, book of the Bible that had 20 chapters and 20 verses. And the first Sunday of this year, I preached from Exodus 20:20, which says, Fear not, but let the fear of God be before your, your eyes, before your faces. And I didn't know how appropriate that verse would be for the year 2020. How we not to fear, but how the fear of God before our faces would remove all other fears. But, uh, you know, here is Habakkuk's 2020 vision here at the end of the year. And Habakkuk has sees all these problems. He says, O Lord, in verse two, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance for spoiling and violence are before me? And there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth for the wicked doth compass me, uh, compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. Behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously for I will work work in your days, which ye will not believe though it be told. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Verses 1 to 5 is Habakkuk speaking. and But then in verses 5 to 7, that was God speaking. And Habakkuk says, I see all these problems. I have all these questions. I have all these frustrations in our nation. But then God says, no, behold this. Behold this. Here's what you should be looking at. This is this is your vision that you should have. Behold, I will work a work in your days. Which you will not believe. Is God working a work in our day? Is God working a work in 2020? He is. We might not believe it if, if he told us what he was doing. But he is working a work. He says uh, to Habakkuk, lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. That's another name for the Babylonians. He says, that's a, they're a terrible people. They're a dreadful people, but I'm going to use them. But something that's really bad, I'm going to use it for good. I'm going to use it. Uh, they, they're very prideful. They, their, their judgment, their dignity comes from themselves. He says, but I'm going to use them to teach you a lesson. And, you know, uh, this world is very prideful. They, they, who knows what what's happening with Brexit this week? <laughs> it's going to all come to a head in, uh, on Saturday or on Friday. And uh, it's all going to be put into place. And everybody's on different sides of it. You know, there's COVID, the government trying to take more control with all of that over in England. And, and of course, here in America, all the election, the confusion, the division about all of that. But, you know, is God working a work in all this? Of course he is. God is stirring things up. God is helping people to realize that it's not just the government that that is the answer. There's something that we need well beyond government. There's confounded and compounded confusion upon confusion in this world today. And but who has the answer? We do. We not might not understand all God's doing, but we know He is the answer. And when people have problems and when people see people, when people have questions, we need to point them to God, who is the answer. Even when Habakkuk himself has questions, and we all have questions, where do those questions lead us to? By far, the biggest question that we get in England every Monday when we go out is this one. Why is there suffering in the world? There's an atheist named Richard Dawkins who's on the news all the time in England. He wrote a book called The God Delusion. And people just parrot what they read in those books, and they come to us and they say, if there is a loving God, how could he allow children to suffer? Or how could God allow this suffering in my life or, or this problem with my relative? You know, they're bitter and angry against God. And when they see somebody talking about God, all that just spills out all over us, you know, and they get angry. But, you know, we love it when people bring up that question because it it's a wonderful way to 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 lead them to the gospel because. You know, we tell them there is an answer. An atheist has no answer to that question. They just believe there's always been death. There always will be suffering. And, and But a Christian, we know there hasn't always been death. And there won't always be death. There won't always be suffering if you place your faith in Christ. He suffered for us. And he's the only one that can bring you to a place where there is no suffering. And so it's a it's a wonderful way of saying there's an answer to those those questions. 
He's talking about all the suffering, the violence, the, the strife, the spoiling, the, the, the war, the, all these things happening in the nation. With, with It seems like God's forgotten. He says, he asked these questions in verse 2, Oh Lord, how long? What a great thought for Christmas time because they were waiting ever since Genesis 3.15 for the, the crushing of Satan's head and the redemption that was coming. And they, were, they waited 4,000 years. You know, we've only been waiting about 2,000 years for Christ to come the second time. But there's this question of how long? How long will it be? We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And that longing that's there. We don't know how long it'll be, but do we, do we believe God's going to do something? He's the only one who will. And then he asked the question, why, in verse 3, why dost thou show me all this iniquity? We, we, we asked that question as well. Why? But where do we take those questions? Where does it lead us to? There was a man who got a, a, a tract through his letterbox, and uh, his name was Kevin. He had just been diagnosed with leukemia. And he told us he was so angry at God when he first got that, he was he was bitter against God. But then one day he showed up in church. He sat on the third row and uh, his friends had given him some rosary beads. So he had those as a good luck charm, you know, to try to help, you know. But he looks really out of place. And so in England, we don't really do an invitation. I I have tried it a couple times, but some of the men took me aside after, you know, Pastor, that's a very American thing to do. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not there to make an American church, you know, but there's all, I have to give people a chance to respond and, and, uh, and, and do something about what they've heard. So what we do is we have a cup of tea, hot tea after every service. And during tea time, nobody ever leaves. And uh, so I can go and nobody has ever left without hearing a clear presentation of the gospel. And, uh, so while the ladies were getting Kevin a cup of hot tea and some biscuits, we call cookies biscuits, by the way, um, I, I went to Kevin. I said, have you ever been in church before? He said, no, I've never been in church before. And I said, well, do you mind if I ask you a question? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Have you ever placed your faith in Christ? Do you, do you, have you heard what, he, what Christ did on the cross? He said, yes, I, I, I'm going to heaven. I was a bit surprised. I said, well, Kevin, uh, how do you know you're going to heaven? And he said, well, I got this track through my letterbox uh, a couple few weeks ago. And he said, uh, I've done what it said, so am I going to heaven? And I said, well, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but, but tell me more about it. And, and Kevin said, well, he said, you might not remember this, but me and my buddies got these from you in the city center. And we all pretended that we were taking them, and but then we all laughed and ripped them up right in your face. And he said, but you were so calm and kind. You just said, God loves you and all that. He said, when I got the tract again through my letterbox, he said, I couldn't rip it up that time. But he said, I didn't want to read it either because I thought I'd have to change my life. So he said, I put it on my bedside and he said, it just stared at me for three weeks. So so then uh, he said, uh, I got this diagnosis of leukemia and I had to know the answer to that question. Are you going to have a little track that Natalie wrote years ago? And he said uh, it talks about the Ten Commandments. He says, I've broken just about every one of them. He said that, but then it talked about how Jesus died for my sins and he could offer me forgiveness as a free gift. And uh, he says, I knelt by my bed and asked Christ to save me. And uh, Kevin was a different person. He was there every week, three times a week. He even came on Mondays. He said, I can't believe I used to rip these up, but now I'm helping you give these out to other people. But uh, Kevin, uh his, he, he, he even, when, when he'd see people he knew, I'd think, oh no, is he gonna, is he gonna talk to them? Is he gonna run and hide? That's what most people do when they see people they know in the city center. But he went right up to them and he told them his testimony. He said, why don't you come to my baptism? And, uh, you know, he invited all of his friends to his baptism. He invited his girlfriend. He thought they'd all get saved. And they all heard his testimony in his own words and, and, uh, but they didn't want anything to do with it. His girlfriend wanted nothing to do with getting saved, so uh, he broke up with her. And all the, they all thought I'd brainwashed them to do that. But then they wanted to throw him a big party and uh, try to raise money for his uh, treatment. But he said, you know, Pastor, that's just going to be flowing with alcohol and drunkenness and all, all sorts of terrible, lewd things happening. He said, I, I don't really even want to go. And I said, well, just just tell them that you're not comfortable with it. 
if that's what, how you feel. And so he, he did, and then they, that was strike two against me. And so uh, they said if we ever even come to the hospital, they were going to rip our heads up, rip Natalie's face off, burn our house down, burn the church down, death threats on the phone. They could not understand. The devil was not happy from just one of that group getting saved. But uh, Kevin, when he when I took him to Cambridge Hospital, he just lit up the place with the joy that he had. With the, he, they could not take away the joy that the Lord had given him in that time. And he he was uh, witnessing to all the nurses, and uh, they were giving him a bone marrow transplant, which didn't work. But as they were giving him the uh, morphine at the end of life in his IV, he said, Pastor, I need to tell you something. So I went to his bed and said, Can you please tell the church? On Sunday that I'm not bitter against God. I'm not angry at God for my cancer. He says, I'm thankful for my cancer because I found God. And I found joy through it. And, uh, you know, when I, when I was able to tell that, so that they were all rejoicing with him, he's going to be in heaven one day. He's going to be one of those who says, thank you for sending the gospel to, to my neighborhood, you know. But, you know, he took those questions that he had to the Lord is what I'm trying to say. He took them to the Lord and he found the answer was the Lord himself. So we all have questions, but let's not let them drive us away. There's people you probably can think of that used to be here, but now you couldn't find them with Scotland Yard. You know, they they're gone. Where are they? Something happened to them and, and they they were driven away in bitterness away from the Lord. So that was Habakkuk's problem. But then we see Habakkuk's patience in chapter two. Uh, and in chapter, the end of chapter one, he, he sees things, he saw things that were dreadful, but now he sees things that are faithful in chapter, chapter one and two. He says in ver- chapter one, verse 12, he thinks of things that he knows are true. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one, we shall not die, O Lord, thou hast ordained them, of the Babylonians, for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. He's, he's saying things he knows are true about God. When we, when we don't know what's happening, we should just praise God for the things that we do know are true. And so he thinks of what is faithful about God. He's, he's patient. He says in chapter two, verse one, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he shall answer me. When I am reproved, he says, I'm going to wait and see what God says about this. I don't understand it. But when there's something you don't understand about the Bible, it's not the Bible that's wrong. It's me that that needs to that needs to learn. He says, I'm going to wait and see what, what God says when I am reproved, when he corrects me. And then the Lord answers in verse two. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Here it is. This book. And make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up in him, uh, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. I want you to think about the patience that Habakkuk had. May we have patience if, uh, right now at the end of the year. God is working a work. He's given us all these promises. He will come back. He will set it all right. And you might think, well, when? He says it is for an appointed time. It's, it's tarrying. But he says, wait for it because it will surely come and it will not tarry. It's going to tarry, but when it does come, it won't tarry anymore. It's going to happen very quickly. And, you know, we sing the song... Um, the carol, uh, when, uh, when with the ever circling years shall come the time foretold, when the new heaven and earth shall own the prince of peace, their king, and the whole world send back the song, which now the angels sing. You know, the, the thing, the years are circling, winding down, getting ever closer and closer. Uh, 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 it came upon the midnight clear. That's it. And so what, what we need to do is we need to say, the, what the answer is. It's more urgent than ever. Write it down. Make it plain so that he may run that read of it. When my father was saved, uh, he was told to go to Florida Bible College in Hollywood, Florida. So he got on his motorcycle and went there and 
they all made fun of him because when Christmas came, he said, well, where's all the snow? I saw this uh, on the front of the phone book. It's, it shows the, 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 the Bible college with a bunch of snow in front of it. They said, no, that's sand from the beach, you know. And, uh, but they all, they all laughed at him, but he learned a lot there at Bible college. And the theme of Florida Bible college was making it plain. And that's become my father's theme of his life. He, he taught at Knoxville Baptist Christian school. He's taught, he teaches now at Concord Christian school in West Knoxville. He's taught Sunday school. He's taught junior church to me when I was growing up. And, uh, there's been so many children that he's led to the Lord just by explaining the gospel clearly. And yet he led me to the Lord when I was a young boy, just as we moved to, to, to Tennessee. And uh, he's, he never heard the gospel clearly growing up, so he wanted to make sure his four children heard it every day, clearly as possible. You know, there's so many people in England, they never hear the gospel plainly. Nobody ever just takes the time to explain it and make it plain, as it says. You know, there's, there's a lot of this doctrine in England of, of fatalism. Whatever will be, will be. You don't have to witness to anybody. And there's a lot of churches over there, they're young people, they're young adults, they think they cannot be saved. They just have to wait for God to do to do it against their will almost. And uh, how refreshed they are when they come to things like the, the winter retreat that we've helped at, and they hear the gospel explained so just clearly, and they're challenged to do something about it. And, uh, you know, they, think, they, they say things like, you mean I can actually be saved? I, I can put my faith in Christ? Yes, you can. My mother, when she, my mother grew up in Africa, in, in Nigeria, and she grew up in an Episcopalian family, which is the same as the Church of England. But uh, my grandparents retired from the flour mill that they started and moved to Miami, Florida. And as a ministry of the Bible College, my father led my mother to the Lord. And she said, I always knew it was something like that, but nobody ever explained it to me before. You know, that's what a lot of people in England are like. In the Church of England, there's so much confusion. And they have the, the songs, they sing the same songs, they, they read the same Bible verses that we read, but it's ne- they never explain it. They never break it down for people. And so we need to do what Habakkuk says, what the Lord tells Habakkuk to do here, make it plain to people, especially in these days in which we live with compounded confusion. We need to make it clear, make, make it clear what, what God's doing in this world. We have the answer. We live by faith. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. That's those Babylonians. Their dignity proceeds of themselves. They think it's all about them. But we, as God's, God's children, should stand out against that uh, this world in which we live. We live by faith. We live differently than they do. He says they're just going to, uh, they don't have the answer, so they're going to transgress by wine, he says in verse 5. They're going to be getting drunk this week. With New Year's, they're probably going to get drunker than ever before because of what a year it's been, 2020. They're going to have the biggest party ever. But he says, he says in verse 15 of chapter two, "Woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle to him and maketh him drunken." Also, he goes on to to to, to describe in great detail what it's like to get drunk. He says that's not the answer for you as a Christian. The answer for you is to wait before the Lord. He says, wait for it, be patient. God's will will happen. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covereth the sea. What a great Christmas verse that is. When Jesus comes the next, the second time, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. You know, there's a little girl who lives across the street from our church building. She saw all the other kids coming out with, with, on their bicycles. And she knew some of them. She said, what are you doing in there? What do you do every week? I watch you every week. They say, we, we, we go to Sunday school. She said, well, what's that? And they said, well, we learn about the Bible. She said, what's the Bible? And they said, we learn about Jesus. And she pointed at me and she thought I was Jesus. Is that Jesus? She didn't know who Jesus was. And there's two other twin boys who thought I was Jesus who, who, who come to Sunday school. You know, But you know, they, there's, there's no knowledge of the Lord. We need to be magnifying the Lord. As Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. We can't make God any bigger, but we can be a magnifying glass to others through our lives, through our testimonies, making him known to others and looking forward to the day where the knowledge will be throughout the whole world. What should we do? It says in verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. 
You know, it's not our job to get to just forget all our troubles and, and get drunk and have a big party at the end of 2020. We should keep silence before him. Wait patiently for him. I, my wife keeps seeing on social media and in the in the shops the, this plaque that says, Be still and know that I am God. She keeps seeing that verse everywhere, it seems, here in this in this year 2020. And that's what we should do. Be still and know that he is God. Keep silence before him. Then Habakkuk moves from this frustration. He's, he's moved from frustration to faith. And then he starts praising in chapter 3. We saw Habakkuk's problem. We saw Habakkuk's patience. But now let's look at Habakkuk's plea in chapter 3. And he see he's seen what is terrible and dreadful. He's seen what is faithful about God. But now he sees what is merciful about God. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath, remember mercy. God, in the middle of the years, he can revive his work. Yes, we know things are getting worse and worse. We know that things are winding down towards the coming of the Antichrist and all these things. But in the middle of all that, we can make this plea. O Lord, revive thy work. And we've seen God revive his work in England from that little in that little church, that little congregation about to die. We've seen him revive his work at that church in Birmingham I helped at where there was just an old building from the 1800s and, and empty since World War II and two old ladies cleaning the building once a month, pleading with God, Lord, revive your work here. And then when we came, they said, you're the answer to our prayers. They were weeping. You know, that God's revived his work. We had one boy named Bradley that first Sunday. And now we take our, our kids there and we see the whole place full of kids and send shivers down my spine. God's revived his work there. You know, God can revive his work here in the midst of the years, in the middle of all of the wrath that's coming. We should ask God, remember mercy. God in his mercy can, can do just that. And he goes on to talk about all the wrath that's coming in chapter 3. And You can read that in your own time. But then after all of that description, he says in verse 16, When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself. You know, we should not stand proudly before God here at the end of 2020. When we realize that God's working a work, we should do what O Holy Night says, fall on your knees. He says, I couldn't even stand up anymore. I, my, the rottenness entered my bones. I, I, I was trembling in my belly when we stand before God. Anybody said, that's a good thing. He says that I may rest in the day of trouble. When all this trouble comes, I'll be resting in the Lord. When they come and invade with the troops. And then he says these, these last three verses I want to focus on just for a minute. He says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, so there's no figs, neither shall fruit be in the vines, there's no grapes, the labor of the olives shall fail, there's no olives, the fields shall yield no meat, there's no, there's no food, the flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls, there's no meat, no milk, no nothing. You know, that's worse than having no toilet paper at Walmart. I mean, there's nothing at Walmart, there's nothing at all. He says, even if it gets that bad, Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. No matter what happens in 2021, will you be able to rejoice? We can as Christians. We can rejoice in the God of our salvation. We can praise God here on this last Sunday of the year that we're saved, that we're on our way to heaven. We can rejoice in the Lord. Uh, you may have heard uh, Clarence Sexton's famous sermon, How Deep Is Your Yet, from this verse. How deep is your yet? What would it take for you to stop rejoicing in the Lord? How deep does your yet go? And you know, my wife and I kind of learned a bit about how deep our yet goes. Four years ago, we lost a baby boy. And I know you all were praying for us. And we'd been told we couldn't have any children. And uh, we had this miracle baby. And... and uh, Perfect growth, perfect heart rate all the way. And then uh, Natalie's mom was with us in the hospital when they said there's no heartbeat. And she just fell to pieces. She was a brand new baby Christian herself. All of her 
sisters were saying, you know, how could a, a loving God allow them to, after all those years of waiting, then take away their baby? The real crisis of faith for her, but I was able to witness my wife rejoicing in the Lord in the hospital, singing, waiting to have the baby, knowing what was coming. To witness to her mother, to, to, to tell her, you know, things like David lost the baby and he said, I can't bring him back, but I can go and be with him. And all the other things that we can cling to from God's word. And then after that, to write, uh, she wrote it all in a, in a booklet, 30 things that help us to continue, which God used to be a blessing to other people. She put it on Amazon for the price of what it is to print. And, and uh, we've had a, a message from a lady who said, uh, I went through a stillbirth and I found this book on the Internet and I've read it. I've become a Christian through it. And to see her rejoicing in the Lord even then, how God can bring something that was going to be bad and use it, use it and work a work, work a work in our lives. What about you? How, what will it take you? And of course, we're thankful that in God's mercy, he's given us another little baby girl. But uh, he says in verse 19, the Lord is my strength. The Lord God is my strength. That's how I can move forward. Not not in our own strength. He says, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon mine high places. So it's the Lord does it. He makes my feet. He gives me the strength. After that, that happened, we had a pastor call us in England. And he said, you know, we're going to Israel. There's a couple that, that, that haven't gotten their passports in time. They want to give you their tickets. And, uh, and, and just have you pay just a little bit towards it. And, uh, and that was just what we needed, that trip. It was such a, an encouragement to us. But while we were there, we went to En Gedi where David hid out from King Saul in the caves and we saw these hinds. They're like, they look a bit like deer, but a bit like goats as well. And, and they were just running right up the side of the cliffs into those caves and, uh, super fast. We, I could hardly get a picture of them. And uh, he says, I'm going to make your feet like that. You're going to be able to go forward, upward with the Lord in this new year. God will make your feet like those hinds feet. And you're not going to collapse. You're not going to fall uh, as a Christian in the middle of all this chaos. He will make you to walk upon the high places. And then he finishes his book by writing to the chief singers on the stringed instruments. This last chapter, he said said in chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigianoth, upon uh, these songs, this these tunes he's saying, these Hebrew tunes, and he's gone from sighing in chapter 1 and sobbing to now singing here in chapter 3. He's gone from being burdened in chapter 1 to being blessed and singing about his blessings. He's gone from wondering and worrying in chapter 1 to now worshiping God In chapter three, he's gone from restlessness to rest. I can rest in the day of trouble, he says. He's gone from complaining about all the problems to now being consoled in the Lord. He's gone from focusing on the problem that he had with God to focusing on the person of God. He's gone from frustration to faith. And may the Lord help us on this last Sunday of the year to finish with faith. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I pray if there's anyone watching or listening or in this room who has never placed their faith in Christ for salvation, help them to realize that we cannot be saved by our own good works. We cannot have the strength in ourselves to go to heaven. We can't reach there. We cannot reach you through our own good works or please you of our own selves. But Father, through faith in what Christ has done for us, we can be saved. I pray that if there's anyone here like that, that they'll realize we have broken your law. There is wrath coming, but in your mercy, you'll save us and help us as Christians, not only to to be saved by faith, but then to live by faith. Help us to not live in frustration, how frustrating it must be to be unsaved and think that they can that we can work our way to heaven. How frustrating it must be because we would never know that we're going to heaven if we were doing it by our good works and how frustrated so many people around us must be thinking they have to earn your love. Help us to make it plain for them and make it clear and to tell them what Christ has done for us and help us to stand out in the middle of all the suffering in the world. Help our faith 
help our confidence, our singing and rejoicing in the day of trouble to really stand out in this wicked world. Help us to help it to stand out more than ever in the darkness in which we live. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.